Welcome and thank you for joining us. My name is Kareem Kanji. Today I am joined in studio by Ari Shapiro. Ari writes for Jay's Journal. You might uh, see his work in uh, Sportsnet. Um, and he's also had the opportunity to interview baseball players such as Todd Stottlemyre. Uh, Ari is a lifelong Blue Jays fan. He has followed the Jays uh, since its inception. He has watched the Jays win back-to-back World Series while attending York University. Uh, today, Ari and I sat down in Girth Radio Studios at the Pacific Junction Hotel on Tuesday, April the 11th, the home opener for the Blue Jays 2017 season. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Yeah, so tell me about Kendris. Why do you like him? What do you, what do you think he's, uh, he brings to the Jays this season? You know, it's funny. I, I liked him before he came to the Blue Jays. And I always, against Kansas City, I always kind of looked at him as being one of those players that you want to avoid facing because mm. if there are ducks on the pond, he'll always come up, switch hit, and do something potentially dangerous. And he's got some really good raw power playing in Kauffman Stadium. For, so for him to hit 30 home runs... I give him the tip of the cap and say, you know, you're you're a baller. You know yeah. how to really uh, hook the ball. Um, but the truth is that it's the fact that he won, that he's got a World Series ring that I think for Blue Jays brass was really important to bring mm-hmm. in someone that could walk into that clubhouse, you know, after the game's over, take a shower and walk out with a towel and his ring. And younger players look at it and say... Wow, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get there. We've got to figure how to get over the hump. I think there's a climate that management recognized, in mm-hmm. particular their their front office, that looked at the players and said, you've gotten a taste of it now for back-to-back years. The nucleus is virtually the same. Let's bring in someone who maybe can talk about the importance of winning and, and being clutch. Yeah. And so I think in that regard, Kendris Morales is a, is a godsend. Plus, I think he's going to do, he's going to do extremely well, I think, at the, at the Sky Dome Rogers Center. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to alternate, by the way. Sometimes I'm going to call it Sky Dome. That is fine. And sometimes I'm going to call it Rogers Center. <laughs> and quite frankly, I don't care how Rogers feels about that. <laughs> that being said, um, it was not just getting Morales, it was also getting Pierce, because I think that most Toronto fans, especially those who are newer to the game, don't seem to understand how valuable he can Tell be. Tell me about him. You, you're really high on him. I, I really am, because I, I watched the way he played for Baltimore, and I looked at how he maximized the opportunity to be successful in limited playing time. And, you know, a lot of uh, the sabermetrics purists love the guy because he really does capitalize on his at-bats. And, okay. you know, watching him in spring training reminded me that he has a real approach at the plate. And I think that's a big problem for some Blue Jays right now is they don't have any approach at all. They go up there, they adjust to the pitches, and they hope to do well. But he's one of the mm. few hitters that when he gets up there, I almost get like this T-1000 Skynet, you know, optical vision of him dissecting the pitcher and saying, all really? right, you throw a lot of hanging curves. I'm not going to touch one until you throw me a fastball so you know if you want to get me out with curveballs do it but if you throw me a fastball i'm going to sit on it and i'm going to hit that thing over the left field fence so i think he's going to be a player that a lot of uh toronto fans are going to come to appreciate as a lunch bucket kind of guy who picks up the bat starts as a utility player and by you know the end of the year he's your everyday left fielder or first baseman depending on how many times justin smoke strikes out between now and next week between 
What is is it because he has that contract that he's on this team? Who smoke? Yeah. Um, well, you know, the contract was supposed to be, the theory was it was an insurance policy, that the reason it was done was because the management was legitimately worried about losing Edwin. But now when I think back, that doesn't make a lot of logical sense. I think that organizationally, we're waiting on the incredibly great and wonderful Rowdy Telez, who's not just wonderful because he's got one of the best baseball names, but because he's a guy that could potentially be your first baseman of the future. Where is he playing now? He's, he's playing down uh, in, in the a? minors. He's, I think he's, up, uh, he's actually up to AAA now, okay. although, although they may keep him in AA because I think that's where he'll get his best exposure hitting-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, AAA can be a hit-or-miss proposition for hitters. The numbers aren't always realistic in the way that the, the pitchers are being groomed, sure. i.e. you want to pick one up AAA rather than off of AA. But he's shown enough to make the organization say that, hey, we'll sign Smoke for a few years and bridge the gap. Mm. But and, and I want him to succeed. I don't have anything of against Justin I mean, Smoke. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but man, how many times can you step up in a, in a situation with runners in scoring position and be a guaranteed strikeout from facing off-speed pitches? It just drives fans crazy oh, absolutely. watching at home and in the park. Where in the world is Chris Colabella? I think that um, considering... What he went through with all the intrigue, he might be like on some kind of uh, Incan expedition down in South America for all I know, because I don't see, I mean, he he eventually, I believe he joined uh, Cleveland. I think he went to the Cleveland system, but um, what a story he ended up being. I mean, mean, there was so much melodrama attached to it, especially given the fact that he went tearfully on Rogers, all Rogers affiliates, and basically said that he doesn't know how how he was caught with something that he doesn't actually take. Yeah. But uh, there was a great sadness for me to see that ultimately implode like it did. As soon as his um, time was up, he got uh, released from the, the roster and then he wasn't heard from. Well, I think the organization showed a little bit of class by giving him an opportunity to go on the air and talk about it for 48 minutes with tear-stained mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. It was really compelling, entertaining television, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a sad story because what he did in his three-quarter half season with the Blue Jays was... Uh, it was amazing. The stuff of dreams. Yes, Absolutely. It's I mean, a movie. He, it's a he, Disney movie. He was breaking records that were established, like, in, in 1927 for productivity with his on-base percentage, his OPS actually is, his slugging percentage and on-base percentage were just unearthly. He was maximizing at-bats. And it was a great story because you learned about the fact that he used to be a teacher in the International League. Mm. And then you thought to yourself, cool, a guy who's a theorist in hitting, I could see him rebounding even though he's never proven anything sure. at the minor or major league level. So there was a bit of an aroma to it. Mm. You know, I, I'm not a cynical guy by nature, but when yeah. I hear stories about guys who are late bloomers... I always kind of do my research to figure out how they got there. Yeah. Because there's a big difference between being a late bloomer because you didn't play the right position and, you you know, you talk about the classic adjust your swing scenario, mm-hmm. which a lot of fans will roll their eyes and say, I don't really believe that either. But, you know, I respect the guy who toiled in the minors, worked his way up, and then finally at 27, 28, got his opportunity, played full time and got it done. Yeah. Colabello really came out of nowhere. He yeah. really did because sure, he'd sure. pretty much all but given up on his minor league career. And then he shows up and he's like a hero every third night in yeah. August and September. Yeah. Although people were saying the same thing about Bautista, I remember, when we all of a sudden... They still do, of... I think. I, yeah. I really fear... Bautista, sadly, will never be able to exercise those demons. There will always be the, susp- the suspicion, A. Mm-hmm. And B, being a Dominican player uh, in a league that has uh, media and fans that disrespect Dominican players. 
that's the truth that's just the truth you need, mm -hmm. all you need to go to do is go on google or youtube and you can find so many examples well you use you use a kind word in disrespect i would use another word yeah i mean <laughs> I, i'm being very delicate with my um the way that I'm articulating my thoughts, but the fact is I've got a s soft spot for Dominican Republic, uh, Dominican Republic players. Mm -hmm. I've got one on my back right now wearing this jersey, mm -hmm. whom I believe is the greatest Blue Jay of all time, Tony Fernandez. Mm. Uh, to me, Tony Fernandez epitomized everything that an international player coming from the Dominican should do in a dominant major league, um, you know, Western culture. And uh, too often I see that disrespect, and I think so does Jose, which is why he's got such a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Because he really overcompensates, and I think he'll be the first to agree. Mm -hmm. Like, when he gets angry or emotional about something, and he starts articulating it he to the media. He's a very person. He's a very, he really does. He's very proud, in a good way. I think he's a very proud person. Well, in a good you way, know? maybe for us here in Toronto, but the fact is the rest of the league doesn't think no, so. No, they don't think I so. I mean, there was so much negative press when he was just still in his free agency period, um, as, as short and uneventful as it was, because I'm sure even he would admit that he didn't think that he'd come back on a one-year, $18 well, he, million dollar contract. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Um, I'm hoping the following player has an injury-free year, Devin Travis. Mm, my he, favorite. Yes. He's, my favorite on this current edition of the Blue Jays, actually, next to Tulo. He's, uh, he's someone that I think there's, you know, if he stays healthy and on the field, you know, here's someone that has a bright future. No question. F talented. Really talented. I wrote about him. I've done uh, a number of articles with Jay's Journal, and I wrote one particular where I called it the Ballad of Devin Travis because okay. I believe I believe that he's on a great journey, and that if he stays focused and healthy, he will be one of the better major league players, and certainly one of the better players we've had in the history of this franchise. Yeah. I've, I've gone as far as even comparing uh, his approach to the plate, similar to that of Kirby Puckett, which drew a lot of you hmm. know gasps from people because Kirby Puckett was one of my players uh, through the '80s and '90s, and um, it's a great sign of respect to the player for me to create an analogy with him because Devin uh, understands the philosophy of hitting. And even though he's not a particularly fast player and he's not a particularly um, mm. showy player, if you will, because, you know, he's this diminutive guy, diminutive guy who comes up to the plate. But if you ever watch him, he's incredibly cerebral. I love his approach to hitting and I think he's got a chance of healthy to be the catalyst for this team. If not, then all bets are off because now you've got to figure out who's batting lead who's off. Who's going to? I ran a poll a few months ago about that, and the answers were just getting ridiculous. It was everything from Pilar to Bautista to uh, Melvin Upton Jr., and of course you've got to change the dialogue very quickly when certain players when? get released, right? So, um, Pilar, fantastic fielder. Uh, He's hit in the minors. Oh, um, definitely. Very well. Um, what what's what is he doing wrong? Is it like Bautista? He's just not getting the opportunity. He's not getting the number of at bats. Not anymore. It used to be. Yeah. I will be the first to acknowledge that the reason Pilar struggled struggled early on was twofold. One, he wasn't consistent, and two, he had his little mini tram, uh, tantrum, which ended up in his 2014 demotion. Hmm. which was, was, was a real eye-opener for him because the organization was basically saying, get your hand in the game and be a serious baseball player or you're never going to step on uh, the Rogers Center turf again. Yeah. Um, I think his biggest issue is psychological. I think that hmm. I don't mind his approach at the plate in terms of his hitting fundamentals, but when I watch him in different counts, there's a real focus issue there. I don't think he recognizes the importance of station-to-station -station baseball. For him to have an on-base percentage under almost under 300 is absolutely criminal, considering the fact that 
He's already got this amazing defensive reputation, and if he could just work on being more consistent, he would become a real star. Mm -hmm. As it is, I think a lot of it, quite frankly, has been media-propped because we embraced him so much in 2015 when he was Superman flying through the air. 2016 was still a decent year, although... There have been criticisms and murmurings that, you know, he telegraphs a lot of his attempted catches. And if you actually watch them, you'll see that he's almost always flying through the air, which I guess if you were Superman, you'd do too. (laughs) But when you start underestimating, or in some cases overestimating the ball, you start to look foolish. And one Mm. way that people start criticizing you is when they also notice that, you know, you went through a stretch hitting 180. If, If he can get his approach to the plate, if he can get that focus and become a real contributor... I think Kevin Pillar can be the star that everyone claims he already is. But in my eyes, he's a very average and ordinary center fielder until he does something at the plate for me on a consistent basis. Wow. Okay. Josh Tolley is no longer a Blue Jay. Um, a bunch of Blue Jay fans would, uh, would, would cheer at that. Um, I thought he was fine. He's a backup catcher. He's not your starting catcher. Um, but Jared Saltalamakia um, is, with the, with, is with the Jays. Um, veteran player. Uh, has seen better days. Um, again, he's he's your backup catcher, but what does he bring to the team? He's a backup catcher who is a bona fide backup catcher. Okay. I mean, I, I have to take exception to you saying that you were fine with Josh Tolley. Okay. Because because I would never want to hear you say that in a room full of like partially <laughs> inebriated Blue Jays fans. I think we'd have trouble. Yeah. I'd have to help you get out of the <laughs> building because they'd look at you and they'd say, you're completely out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, Saltalamachia is a former first rounder. Mm-hmm. And he was always acknowledged as being a very talented catcher. His problem was twofold. One, there was always someone ahead of him wherever he played that always seemed to get the opportunity to play full time. And two... I think in the last few years, there were some questions as to his commitment to the game. Mm. But I think this has a chance to be the dark horse signing for the Blue Jays. It's it's going to be an unheralded signing because Josh Tolley was someone that was supposed to give you defensive value. And if you got anything at the, you know, offensively, it was considered a bonus. bonus. It was a bonus round scenario. But there were never, ever bonuses. (laughs) I mean, there were never bonuses. He never never strung together any consistency when he did play. And quite frankly, he wasn't much of a defensive catcher. There were still a lot of passed balls. There were still no attempts to be mm. able to consistently throw at runners because he just didn't have an arm. So to get a guy who's got a much better arm, a guy who can contribute at the plate and has some leadership qualities, for example, being most recently with the Boston Red Sox, yeah. I think that Toronto there's fans are going to come to enjoy them. Yeah, there's definitely something there. He's the kind of guy now that if Russell really needs a break, and he will need a break during those Absolutely. dog days of summer, yeah. um, deep in August... I think a lot of fans are going to say, hey, we've got Salty, yeah. as they fondly refer to him as in the dugout. And Salty is 385% better than Tolly. I chose a random number, but it sounds <laughs> about right. Um, I want to talk about the starting rotation. Um, it looks really good. It is? On, on my screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it hasn't looked good so far. Well, I'll, let me take that back. Marcus Stroman has pitched amazing. Aaron Sanchez has pitched fantastic. Um, Francisco Liriano, is, is he, is that back, is that, who is Francis, who is Liriano? Is, is he who we saw? The one you saw last year? week was an imposter. 
Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to an alien out of body experience of some kind because yeah. really, even when he struggles, he's not that bad. And that start was, it was horrendous. I mean, it was beyond horrendous. He finished with a an ERA of 135, which when you see on your phone when you actually call it up, let's say on the Score app, is one of those numbers that you immediately screenshot and send to your friends and say, "Hey, have you ever seen this number next to a pitcher's <laughs> ERA?" And they're like, "Nope." That's pretty much the only kind of number you'd see at the beginning of the season because eventually sure. the innings will will lower it, but. Um, that was a blip on the radar. Okay. I think Francisco Liriano showed enough in his starts with the Blue Jays, nine or ten starts last year, as well as spring training, mm-hmm. that he is, in fact, closer to being the one that was with Martin back in Pittsburgh okay. with a career sub-three ERA mm-hmm. capable of uh, a procession of, of quality starts. I wouldn't worry about him. Okay. Um, but I, I will say that a lot of people, as part of this paranoia with this one-five yeah, yeah, yeah. start, were like, oh, God. Yeah. Now we're in trouble. Don't be. He'll be fine. Are you worried about Marco Estrada's back? I'm not worried about Marco Estrada's back. I'm worried about his head. Okay. Because he, there were some pitch pitch selections the last few games that he's been in, and uh, a lot of uh, sports personality types across Toronto were harping on it that he was like doing strange things, such hmm. as throwing a changeup at 0 and 2 when you're not supposed to throw a changeup. Yeah. I think right now he's just battling his comfort zone of when he wants to throw his pitches, but he looks healthy to me. Okay. And even though he struggled uh, for the better part of one and a half starts, I think he's going to... I mean, look, we're talking about a player who held hitters to a 203 average last year. Yeah. And the previous year, he held players to a 203 average. So when you come to two years of pitching consistently for me, giving me nothing but a string of quality starts and holding hitters to a 200 average, I'm not going to lose faith because maybe your back is a little wonky. I'm going to say, do your best, stay healthy, and and do what you do so effectively, which is keep hitters off balance, especially off balance when you've got a Stroman who preceded you and a Sanchez who's following you, for example, yeah. things like that. So. Yeah. Today, Jay Happ is pitching. He is. For uh, your Toronto Blue Jays. Um, your, your thoughts on him? I, I like the story behind him because he was such a mediocre entity, especially like a quantity when he first came to Toronto. He mm-hmm. was nothing really to write home about. He was a four-and-a-half ERA pitcher who occasionally got ground balls but never failed. Every third inning, you'd come back from the kitchen with a snack, and there's a three-run homer. And yeah, you're yeah. like, yeah, that's Jay Happ for you. Sure. But then he went and, and he met the, the brilliant Ray Seeger at, uh, in, the Pittsburgh, uh, in the Pittsburgh trade that sent him to Pittsburgh, and in a half season was lights out. Like he was... He was literally Cy Young caliber. Mm-hmm. So for him then to then come to the Blue Jays and have a 20-win season tells me that this is a serious pitcher now. And uh, I like his approach. I like his style. He may not win 20 wins again this year, sure. but I'll tell you, he's going to give them almost the same number of quality starts if he's healthy. There's no reason to, 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 to worry about him. He's become a very refined cerebral pitcher in his own right. I'm very happy with him. Uh, someone who was on the starting uh, lineup who, you know, on, in the... 25-man roster last year for a couple of years, no longer there. Uh, right-handed pitcher, R.A. Dickey. Um, he came from the Mets with great fanfare. Cy Young uh, winner coming off a Cy Young season. Um, the expectations seemed to be high. Um, never fulfilled, I think, those unrealistic expectations. Um, I didn't dislike his 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 results um, I thought they were fine. I, th- I thought he provided solid 200-plus innings for the Jays. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, and, and a great individual as, as a human being, but your, your thoughts on the R.A. Dickey uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays? 
I think that's precisely what makes it so difficult for me to say anything negative about mm. R.A. Dickey because at the heart of it all, as a uh, as a, one of the leaders in the clubhouse, his his relationship with the pitchers, the fact that he did bring 200-plus innings of reasonably consistent quality starts. Mm-hmm. I think the issue that I take with the R.A. Dickey trade was it was made at a time when Anthopoulos, Alex Anthopoulos basically went all in and he made that blockbuster trade with Florida and then followed it up by acquiring R.A. Dickey for what you can say arguably today is the best pitcher in the National League. And as long as you acknowledge that Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, and the latter is not a factor anymore because he's having a lot of troubles with his major league career, mm-hmm. but Noah Syndergaard it's today with an Aaron Sanchez would have represented the most dominant one-two punch in the American League. And knowing that in their zeal, the front office, in Alex Anthopoulos' heart of trying to compete with his four-year or five-year plan, mm-hmm. the fact that he's willing to give up so many prospects to get a pitcher that ultimately was relatively average. That's where I think some fans would take exception to this notion that he was just fine. I think the expectations weren't unrealistic. They wanted him to be a 16-10, and 18-12 and 12 pitcher resembling the Cy Young form that he had in the National League. Sure. Unfortunately, that wasn't realistic yeah. because when you're a Cy Young in the National League, it doesn't guarantee success in the American League. Absolutely not. And it was his inconsistency at the end of the day, the so-called consistent inconsistency mm. that made him... Um, draw the ire of many fans, myself included. He was just too unpredictable. And I think that's the difference between the rotation this year compared to last. Now every fifth day, you're not saying, as funny as it is saying that after Liriano's last start, (laughs) now you're saying, you know what, we've got a fighting chance every game. Whereas every fifth day over the last four years of Ari Dickey have been, oh God, which Ari Dickey Dickey are we going to get and why do I have to sit through three Josh Tolley at-bats? (laughs) <laughs> which 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 is an absolute masochistic experience because your $16 million ultra-defensive, super-elite all-star catcher Russell Martin is watching the action. And I think that's the biggest difference sure. in, in R.A. Dickey leaving is he didn't just free up a starter spot. He ensured that we don't have the banality the of forced... Josh Tolley. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I've had this conversation with, with, a, with a few people. Is Noah Syndergaard... Noah Syndergaard with the Jays, meaning is he that dominant pitcher uh, coming up in the Jays organization that he is and has become in the in the Mets organization? I think that's a fascinating question because once again, it goes to my earlier point about understanding what it's like to pitch in the National League compared to the American League. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder in the American League for the obvious reason of the designated hitter. Yep. I think that's why it's genius that Syndergaard ended up on the Mets because mm. if you watch him pitch, look, he's not a flawless pitcher. His biggest problem right now is the fact that he can't hold runners on and teams are taking full advantage That's of right. that. That's right. But I'm sorry, if your only problem, your only real <laughs> discernible issue in your pitching repertoire is yeah. figuring out how to get to the plate faster, knowing that when you do get there, it's 100 plus miles an hour yeah. and that you just absolutely punch out you know, hitters left, right, and center. You're okay I'd say with he's, you're, in, you're in pretty good shape. That's why I think he would have had success in the American yeah. League because I think he would have had so many strikeouts from hitters flailing away uh, playing American League East team 19 times. Yeah, he's one of those dreams that you reflect on and say, you know, if we'd zigged rather than we zagged, we would have ended up with him, but it's really easy to do that. Yeah. The fact is that at the time, I was very confident in the acquisition of Dickey mm-hmm. and in that blockbuster trade of getting uh, Jose Reyes, Josh Johnson, uh, Mark Burley, and, and really upgrading your team in so many ways. Yeah. Unfortunately, it came at the exhaust, at the expense, rather, 
of virtually every promising right-hander and left-handed pitcher in in the minors. To say nothing of the fact that they then doubled down in 2015 when we acquired uh, David Price and Troy Tulowitzki mm-hmm. and literally gutted the the minors of every left-handed reliever that we have, which yeah. is one of the reasons why fans are so jittery. We are in that, this position. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a very razor-thin margin between success and failure. Aaron Sanchez, uh, Marcus Stroman, um, I think their bromance is over. I don't know if, if fans need to or should read anything into that. Um, I don't mind if, if teammates are not friends. Um, however, it feels that once one of these guys hits free agency, uh, at least one of them is leaving. Um, it just seems, it, it, I just have that vibe, that one one of them is leaving. And I have a feeling, unfortunately, that it's going to be Sanchez who is going to be leaving. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have them both stay and, and have a massively long and successful Jays career. But let's talk about these two guys. Let's start. Let's start off with with Sanchez. Um, he, he's had he had a phenomenal year uh, last year. He really did. And and getting Scott Boras as his agent solidified his intention to be a pitcher that will be a big money pitcher, yeah. a big money investment for a team that wants a player that fortunately the Blue Jays don't have to worry about for the next three or four years because yeah. of because of the way they're able to retain control in Major League Baseball. Um, but at the same token, what I find fascinating is the way that both pitchers have been treated by the organization. I mean, hmm. Kareem, if you think about it, it's really been night and day. It has. In Sanchez's case, he's like the golden child. He's been pampered from day one. Mm-hmm. God knows the innings limit um, yeah. rigmarole that turned into such drama. It was it was unbelievable for people following it to understand um, why there was such preoccupation with it. Because really, in the history of the franchise, never can I oddly recall something uh, like a, this, a picture no. or something like that. Yeah. But then I think of poor Marcus Stroman who went to arbitration over $300,000 and answered his critics by putting in the MVP performance at the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if there's one guy who would leave, it would be more likely mm. Marcus than it would be Aaron because he hasn't gotten a lot of love from the Blue Jays. In fact, he's gotten so little love, in my opinion, that he's had to go out and make his own acronym and branding approach marketing-wise, you know, with... Uh, HDMH and yeah. and good for him because he understands that he really hasn't accomplished very much, but mm. he has in what he has accomplished, he's done it at just the right time, yeah. and that's why I like his style. And I think he's going to do it again this year. You know, he's a diminutive five five foot eight enigma for yeah. a lot of people because really, sure. if you look at his dimensions and the way he pitches, he shouldn't he be shouldn't succeeding. Be. No. He shouldn't be. Fair Guys enough. like him aren't meant to be. Aaron Sanchez is the complete opposite archetype. He's the lanky right hander. With that flowing delivery. Yeah. Um, who's put on a lot of muscle. Who's put on a lot of muscle. What, what is it up to? 45 pounds in the last two months? You know, give it a few more years and he'll be like the Incredible Hulk. Like he'll have <laughs> 150 pounds of muscle and he won't be able to move because I'm not even quite sure how that's possible. And and in the case of Marcus, you don't hear that. You don't hear about putting on muscle. You hear about no. going out there and pitching when it matters most. Yeah. And if you look at what he did when he came back from his injury and how he's battled in the playoffs, oh, that was phenomenal. I like Marcus Stroman and what he's doing with this team. For sure. Absolutely. Um, the bullpen. Bullpen is, is, is like literally changed over. It, it looks nothing like it did last year, uh, save for Osuna and, uh, and Biagini. Um, and grilled cheese. Don't forget Jason Grilly. And grilled Grilly, cheese, you know. yes. Although he didn't start the season with, with the Jays, but no, yes. No, he didn't. That's right. Um, Roberto Osuna, this is interesting. He's, he's, he's very young. 
Um, although in in sort of baseball years, he's he's pitched many. He's he's pitched for quite a number of years. He was pitching in Mexico in, the, in their pro league since he was 16, if I understand. Great pedigree, um, great stock, and he's got family members. His father was a very very influential, famous Mexican yeah. pitcher in their league, mm-hmm. uh, and internationally has done well. Um, he is one of uh, the. He's basically one of two phenoms that the 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 team can honestly hang their hat on and say that they can look forward to a rosy future. Yeah, you've got a closer who's twenty one years old, and is already showing showing sh- uh, signs of being uh, a very uh, upper tier player. And then you've got in Sanchez, a, a pitcher who's got incredible upside. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really high on Roberto Osuna for obvious reasons. Should unfortunately, he stay? Go ahead, yeah. I was going to say, unfortunately, the rest of the bullpen is is mm. basically one of those you hope that as you're shuffling throughout the year, you adjust because yeah. it's really nothing. Well, that's to what write bullpens home about. are, right? You know, most of them are, but yeah. you know, you know what the Yankees did? The Yankees uh, decided that that was their absolute priority, so they signed our yes. oldest Chapman yes. and Dellen Betances, albeit under rather controversial, controversial circumstances with the way they treated Betances. Yeah. But as that team gets better, their bullpen is absolute lockdown, rock solid, hmm. game over. And I think that that's a great way to build it. It goes against the philosophy of you hear, you hear from a lot of Toronto sports personalities that say you shouldn't spend money in a bullpen. I think that's absolute garbage. You, you absolutely need to spend that money yeah. if you expect to win close games against division rivals. For sure. Because if you don't and you're losing in the eighth and ninth inning, how does that make any logical sense? Should he be a starter or is, or is that time passed? I think that time is over. Yeah. I think at this stage it might even do him a disservice to try to turn him into a starter. He's mm-hmm. obviously used to he's used to the the short inning spontaneity associated with being a closer, mm-hmm. and he does it really well. And um, I think converting him to a starter at this point presupposes one that you find a capable closer, which the organization is nowhere near not finding with their prospects, which they don't have. Mm-hmm. And two, that you absolutely need to because you're worried about your starter's depth. So maybe if something happens and they have some critical injuries, they'll do that. But at this stage in the game, he's I your think closer. he's your closer. Fair he's your enough. closer and he's got a great reputation for it and is very respected in the league for what he's capable of doing. I would love to have... I'm not going to go through every, every single person in, in the bullpen... Uh, we know who Jason Grilly is. Uh, he'll be dominant at times. At other times, uh, um, his age and, and the number of innings he's pitched over his career will catch up with him. Um, but Joe Biagini is someone I would love to chat with. He's just an interesting character. He's a great character. Yeah. He's uh, branded himself without having to use Rogers' resources. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely impressive beyond belief. I mean, what he'd have done The Tonight Show was like one of those nods to being a smarmy, smart guy. Good for him. Uh, he has a chance to be, in Blue Jays history, uh, a very Mark Icorn type, uh, a, a kind of super utility man that you could bring in whenever you need to mm-hmm. get key outs, which also worries the, the heck out of me because I tweeted a few days ago that he might become the first reliever to pitch 200 innings because at, at this stage in the game, Gibby's... Gibby's going to lean on him in, yeah. in pretty much any kind of high leverage situation, which means he might come in for one hitter. He, he did might very come in well for last two. year. Yeah. He really did. And he's got the right kind of personality, and I think he's got a lot of respect in the clubhouse. They really lucked out with him. He, wasn't, he was one of those guys that didn't show up on the radar, and then he just finally picked up as a reliever that you can hang your hat on and say, uh, you know, good, good for us for the next two, three years of having him mm-hmm. in the back end. Mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson, um, the the leader on this team when it comes to performance, it seems. Um, he's got a couple more years left. Um, 
I, I think what we have in him is, is definitely a perennial all-star player, whether he wins an MVP or not. Uh, uh, I don't think it depends on him. I think it depends on what that guy in uh, in, in L.A. does or doesn't yeah. do. Um, but I think we know what we have with him. Um, I guess the, the only question about him that I have is not his health, is whether he stays um, or whether the Jays trade him or whether they just let him go. And it could go in virtually all of those directions, yeah. potentially. Uh, Josh Donaldson is one of the rare game changers Mm -hmm. in baseball. He is a player that, irrespective of his age, and you wouldn't call a game changer at 31 or 32 years of age to be that, but there's no question in what he's demonstrated in the last five years that outside of Mike Trout, there's no one else that you want up there in that situation Mm -hmm. in the field looking after your interests as a baseball club. He's been a real gift, and considering that he was traded for Brett Laurie and Billy Bean bestowed this gift on the franchise. <laughs> I mean, really, if you think about it, with him coming against his will, because he was traded, yeah, yeah, so yeah. in that regard, and Tulo, these are two mercurial baseball players that are here not by choice. Fair so they're, enough. So they're yeah. kind of trying to make the best of what they've got, mm-hmm. and they like what they see. Yeah. Because along with Martin, they've got a very strong and tight-knit leadership group. Josh is not one of those guys... That strikes me as being someone who stands up in the locker room and gathers everyone around and does a speech. He's one of those guys who, as he's coming on the field, he's leading the charge and saying, watch what I do and understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. That's why when he's at the plate or he's on the bases, anything can happen. You know, this team doesn't have a speed game right now to speak of whatsoever. They don't have a single stolen base. Yet, if Josh Donaldson has gotten himself to first, I wouldn't leave it uh, past him to double steal. Mm-hmm. He'll do anything to win. Yeah, and he's one of those guys who's such a strong raw talent, strong ambition, tremendous psychology. That seeing him stay long term, if the team does poorly this year, I don't think is realistic. Yeah. I think fans need to brace themselves mm-hmm. that if the Blue Jays start to struggle, revenue goes down, the fans don't show up. Put it this way: to answer your question, yeah. if the Jays keep drawing forty-five thousand a game, Josh Donaldson will retire as a Blue Jay. But if that changes yes. and attendance goes down, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't be surprised if the Rogers overseers, overseers and Mark Shapiro get together and say, you know what, we can get something for him and replenish yeah, yeah. the cupboards. And again, it's predicated on who you've got coming up as your next third baseman. And that's a big issue with this Toronto Blue Jays team. They really are um, running on fumes at this stage. They're high up in the air and they're getting far and it's a beautiful plane, but I, I don't think it has much fuel left. Mm. And if it did, you'd know who your next third baseman is. And at this stage in the game, they don't even know. Yeah. So true. he's true. not going anywhere until they figure that out. I hope so. I hope so. Um, as, as, as we end off here and, and go into the bar here at Pacific Junction Hotel, uh, enjoy some, uh, some nachos and, and some tacos. Um, let's, let's, let's start wrapping this thing up. Um, where do you see realistically the Jays finishing off the season? Notwithstanding the start, I still believe yeah. they've got a shot at the wild card. Okay. I can't see them winning the division simply because I think that, that Boston and Baltimore um, will beat them up. Mm-hmm. Really so much so in their head-to-head battles that I don't think they'll be able to capitalize on getting wins elsewhere. Yeah. They did that the last two years mm-hmm. when they won the division the wild card. They played well against the AL East. But if they don't have that kind of similar success, and I don't know if they will, it's going to be hard to make up games. Yeah. Do I think they can win the wild card spot? Absolutely mm. on the strength of their pitching. I think they've got the best rotation right now in, in lieu of David Price's injury and what's going on with the Pomerantz in Boston. Yeah. I think they got the best 
pitching staff. I think they've got a strong enough nucleus of a team that um, they'll finish probably between anywhere between 88 and 90 wins. I think that's realistic. I'd be surprised if it's less. I'd be pleasantly surprised if it's more. Sure. And they'll rely on just being able to eke in and hopefully recapture a lot of the magic that they've had at various points of 2015 and 2016 Mm -hmm. to get them over the hump. But it's going to be a tough road. It's a tough division. And it's going to be one of those cases where they just beat themselves up through 19 games that you hope they can capitalize. Case in point tonight, when we're eating our nachos, they've got to beat the Milwaukee's of the world. They've got to take games against Milwaukee and take games against rebuilding teams like Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they'll find themselves... Uh, in a constant state of one step forward, one step back against Boston, Baltimore, and, and New York, which isn't even talked about. I think that New York team is going to surprise the heck out of people this year. Yep. I don't see them as an 80-82 win season. So hopefully they'll be able to get the wild card spot and do something that, quite frankly, has never been done, which is, uh, or yes, it's been done once, three consecutive postseason appearances, which is what we got in 91 through 93. But we all know how that ended up. So Let's uh, end off with this. Um... Do you remember your first Blue Jays memory? I do. I do. It's it's the one that um, to this day makes me appreciate why mm. I love the game as much as I do. Why, notwithstanding my very, very extensive passion for hockey, that baseball always brings out the kid in me, yeah. which is uh, watching the Blue Jays during the 1985 ALCS when they were up against Kansas City. It was Mm -hmm. the first year that the format had changed in the postseason from five games to best of seven. And they were beaten and vanquished by Frank White, George Brett, and Brett Saberhagen and the amazing Kansas City Royals, not unlike what would happen very recently when Mm -hmm. we faced them. And uh, there was a lot of tumultuousness going through my life. I uh, lost my grandmother to cancer. Uh, we had a lot of family health issues. And the one constant which got me through it was the Toronto Blue Jays. Something about putting on my cap as an 11-year-old boy and sitting in front of the incandescent glow of some really, really cheap Panasonic television <laughs> and hearing guys like Tony Kubek and Don Chevrier talk about the Blue Jays and what they were capable of and Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth brings back a lot of great memories. And really, I was spoiled as a kid because through 85, 89, 91, and into the glory years, notwithstanding that ominous blip on the radar that was 1987, which we should probably not talk about at the, risks of, at the risk of drowning our sorrows, um, so many fond memories and growing up in, uh, in Toronto, mm-hmm. in Thornhill in particular, yeah. um, as someone coming from uh, a background of being both Russian and Jewish and, and being part of a very multicultural game, a multicultural environment, only, only pleasant memories. So now when I see the fans come out and I see young and old alike, baby boomers and millennials as a Gen Xer, I feel a very special uh, bond with this game. I feel like there's something about it that's more than just a game and a, a form of escapism. It's a real organic pleasure. It makes me feel like I've connected through to my history and that I'm merely going on to the next challenge that only baseball in a grueling 162-game season can bring. It's been a pleasure having you here. The pleasure's been all mine. Thank you for having me on.